You're listening to the Changing Lives Podcast, where we talk with health professionals, industry experts, and everyday heroes, changing lives on the front lines through emergency healthcare. I'm Ben Cleaver. And I'm Tim Buxton. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Changing Lives Podcast. It's great to have you with us today. Our interview today is with Rachel Rose. Rachel is a brand spanking new trainee paramedic with the New South Wales Ambulance Service. She started her journey into this career around about five years ago when she signed up for the Cert 4 in healthcare with the Australian Paramedical College. Decided then she would upgrade to a diploma of paramedical science and knew she loved it. So she jumped into the bachelor degree and went through all of the process really of uh, applying for registration and then applying for the state service and was unexpectedly called up much, much earlier than she ever expected um, to start the traineeship because of the extra boots needed on the ground for this COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, and because she's fresh into her role as a trainee paramedic, but also that student experience is is something that she's recently gone through as she shares uh, such relevant advice to anyone that's uh, on the career pathway journey to become a paramedic. And she shares some incredible personal experiences and the way she's overcome that challenge of, of studying uh, with family, uh, balanced life work, you're really going to get a lot out of what she shares. Awesome. I reckon we should jump straight into the interview, Tim. Let's do it. Oh, absolutely. And I think you just don't know what any day will bring. You know, it might be a completely mundane, you know, day of relatively routine jobs or then like yesterday, for example, I got to drive 80 k's to from south of Wollongong to Sydney, uh, lights and sirens up the highway, because we had to. My partner was trained in the use of a multi-purpose vehicle um, for bariatric patients, and she was the closest trained one in New South Wales to a job in Sydney. So we had to get up there as soon as possible. So I got to drive 140 k's up the highway. So wow. that was pretty fun. And then came back and um, helped a 70-year-old woman having a heart attack. She oh was having my. a STEMI. So that was our last job of the night. So, what a day. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Great. Well, Rachel Rose, thank you so much for coming on the Changing Lives podcast. You're welcome. Nice to be here. It's really great to have you. Um, so interested in your journey. Uh going into this career, um, diploma then the bachelor and, and all of the, you know, volunteer roles that you've played and the input you've given to, to students as well throughout your, um, throughout your journey. And now being a trainee paramedic for the New South Wales Ambulance, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, um, this was always definitely the, the end game uh, for me and, you know, although I'm not there yet, you know, still the trainee paramedic, but when yeah, are you there, right? What I'm, yeah, I'm I'm here. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, you know, the year uh, training program, and I'll be a fully qualified paramedic. Um, but by no means will know everything. I think it's a lifelong learning um, endeavor. This role, which is part of what appeals to me as well. So, yeah. So you've been three months into the role. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Just three months. And and so can you explain? Very much a beginning still. Sorry, what was that? 
I still feel very much a beginner in the role, but I'm learning a lot. So, so what's it been like, and what is what does the role entail? Um, basically, as they told us in induction, we're not expected to um, be as good as a qualified paramedic. We're expected to be a valuable assistant to our P1 paramedic partner. So um, basically, you know, we're doing all the roles that that they do, but with support. And, um, you know, so everything that we learned at college and at university, patient care and history taking and medication and, you know, making decisions and advocating for our patients and deciding what resources we need. So we're doing all of that, but then with a level of support that, you know, we can always defer to our partners if we, you know, it's like, I really don't know what to do here or, you know, they'll if we're going a little bit in the wrong direction, they'll sort of point us in the right direction if you've got a good partner, which I, I've been very lucky to have. So, Fantastic. And you, I understand you were kind of, I guess because of COVID-19 and you were kind of fast-tracked. You are in this position much, much earlier than you ever expected. Can you explain what happened? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had applied for Queensland, Victoria, New South Wales and London Ambulance. Um, I was on the waiting list for Queensland for the assessment days, which were then cancelled because of COVID. Um, I was also on the waiting list to go down to Victoria for an assessment day and their assessment days were also cancelled. Uh, and then New South Wales, I had been sort of placed on a, the merit list last year, but I hadn't heard anything, so I didn't know what would happen. And then in April, got an email saying, you know, we, was I still interested? Uh, so very much I'm still interested. Then came a phone call saying, well, if, if we offered you a role, could you be in Sydney in two weeks' time? Yes. And, you know, they kept emphasising this is not a job offer. And then um, it came to three days before and I hadn't heard anything and thought, oh, for sure, I've missed out. They'd give us more notice than this. But Wednesday afternoon I got a phone call, we need you to be in Sydney by Sunday. So that's how it happened. Um, wow. Then we went into quarantine for four weeks uh, and did our induction over four weeks in quarantine. There was 180 of us in pods of 30. So 150 of the people I haven't met. <laughs> wow. So 180 yeah. on the spot were kind of pulled into this trainee program to kind of beef up the, the this healthcare support system because of COVID. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't know where help was going to go and – where and when more paramedics would be needed. Yeah. So I think the plan was to recruit for around about 400 paramedics this year, really? but they just took in, you know, almost half of the quota in, in one lot. So I was just really fortunate to be part of that. And where did you move from? Where was, where was home for you then? So you had to obviously relocate. Yeah, I was living in Brisbane. Yeah. So it was a matter of um, moving 1,200 kilometres south or more accurately, me leaving in three days and saying to my partner, can you please pack up our house and our lives and move us 1,200k yeah. south in a month? Wow. So, yeah, I was very lucky to have a supportive partner. Um, a lot of people doing it on their own, it was a lot more difficult for them. Or if, you know, their, their partners, boyfriends, girlfriends, wives, husbands had, um, you know, jobs or they had families yeah. where they were, it was a lot more difficult. So... 
and we all had to find new accommodation in a time where we weren't allowed to actually go and physically see places as well. So we, you know, most of us had to do that all online. Um, so yeah, interesting times. <laughs> I I find that f- fascinating, but in, in some ways, when you know, kind of getting to kind of do a bit of um, background research on you, as we've high, you are highly recommended from our, uh, our college here, Australian Paramedical College, uh, that we're a part of. Hey, you've got to you've got to interview this this um, this woman. She's incredible and. Uh, uh, the 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 adventurous streak that seems in you, someone you know, to almost do a paramedic, um, to to follow through with a paramedic career, you almost have to have that bit of adventure streak in you, that ability to be adaptable, highly adaptable. Would you say that's kind of where there's a bit of uh, synergy with the career now that you you've launched into and and your personality? Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, and I thought. It was probably for the like for about ten years before I actually took the plunge and did it. I'd been considering doing it because I really got a kick out of um, helping people. Uh, in my previous role, I was in you know an office worker. I was a business manager, um, but I'd always maintained my first aid certificates after working for Red Cross years ago, and just happened to be you know first on scene in a couple of car accidents or um, when I was travelling. You know, had to help people who were caught up in like a Maoist riots on the streets of Kathmandu, been hit in the head with a brick and treating in, head injuries, wow. Um, wow. just approach people to help. And I liked doing it. It made me feel good. And I also just felt like I, um, I was so calm and in control during the situation uh, and thought that, you know, hey, maybe I can do this. You know, I wasn't really rattled by it when there was a lot of people sort of standing around with flapping hands, not knowing what to do. Um, so I sort of thought, oh, you know, one day I'll do this if I want to change careers. And then sort of approaching 40, went, well, if I don't do it now, I'm going to miss out. So um, that's one of the reasons why I came to the college too, because I was still working full time and I could do the Cert four and the diploma through the college externally while I was still working, just to make sure it is what I actually wanted to do before I, you know, chucked in my well-paying job with travel perks <laughs> to become a uni student. <laughs> so, but, yeah, and I loved it. You know, I, I loved the study. I loved the particularly the the two lots of two weeks practical we did at the college, yeah. which really consolidated it. Um, for me. I found the study, I enjoyed the study, but I find, found it all quite abstract mm. until we came to the, do the practical and put it all, to, put it all together. You know, why do these algorithms have anything to do with this and where the skills fit in and, mm. you know, all the patient history and how does it all fit together? And then when you actually practice that, you understand it more. Mm. I mean, so, it's like that with everything, isn't it? It's all kind of up here head knowledge and it's really hard to sort of put some context to it until you get that opportunity and and of course the the two weeks of clinical um workshops give you that opportunity as well as placement uh as well where did, where did you end up doing your placement oh yeah um i went to after the college um well when i was at the college uh i was lucky enough to get a position as a volunteer for st john so i did a lot of my practical skills through them 
And I also um, did some stints through other organisations such as HEST and uh, other first aid companies on the Gold Coast. Um, then when I was at uni, at, I went to QUT and we do three lots of six-week blocks of PRAC. So my first I did in Metro South in Brisbane at Carina Station, which was quite a busy station. Um, the second block I did out west uh, at Mergen, which is about three and a half hours northwest of Brisbane. Um, and Mergen Station looks after an Indigenous community, uh, Sherberg, mm. out there, which was a really interesting opportunity to work with some Indigenous folks out there. Um, and then my third lot of prac I did at Bean Lee Station, which was another very busy station. Yeah. So I had a mix of metro and um, rural, and I would really recommend that, actually. It opened up my eyes to the possibility of working rural when before I'd right. done that placement, I didn't really think it was even on my radar. But completely different experience, different skill sets. You've got a lot more time with patients, a lot longer travel time, a lot less backup. <laughs> so wow. you sort of have to think on your feet a little bit more and um, – yeah, be a bit more resourceful than you do in the city. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it was definitely a valuable experience. Yeah, that, that's a good point, isn't it? Uh, and that's that's really good advice uh, to, 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 for students to learn from that. It's like, yeah, hey, if you have the opportunity to choose where you're going to do your placements throughout, whether diploma or the bachelor, um, get a variety of different um, situations, you know, as you said, rural, metro, um, to get a feel for it because you don't know what you only know what you know right you don't know um, how yeah. something's going to be in the, in the field and whether it's going to fit you until you actually give it a go and placement's a great opportunity to to suss that out um, absolutely I mean there's advantages of being in the city you've got a lot of resources but also you know a lot of the time the hospital's 20 minutes away so you've only got that tra travel time to talk to your patient and do vitals and get your paperwork at least partially done. And, um, you know, and if there's anything really interesting, everybody's all over it. And the, um, you know, the critical care paramedics or the intensive care paramedics rock up and, you know, then they get to do all the interesting stuff. Right. <laughs> so whereas rural, it, you know, where I was, um, where I did my rural placement, there was one uh, critical care paramedic in the area and if he wasn't on shift, there was no backup. Mm. So you might get another crew, you know, in 40 minutes depending yeah. how far they were away. So you really did have to think about it more. Mm. There were a lot fewer jobs during the day. Um, so a better work-life balance in some respect and a lot of time to study. Mm. Um and then in the city stations, once you left the station in the morning, you'd be lucky to get back all day. Mm -hmm. So, And kind of to bring it back to, to your situation right now, so you're three months into a one-year trainee paramedic position, but um, I understand that there's possibility that you might have to transfer somewhere else in the country uh, or in the state, right, within New South Wales. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, those you know, it's not like you can pick and choose as well where where you you might necessarily be. Um, you you do have some choice, but but can you explain through that because I think that that's really helpful to to know. You know, the the flexibility and the adaptability and um, opportunities, varied opportunities there are. Oh, definitely. Um, for the 
the graduate year, we were asked to put in our preferences for regions and, you know, regions based on the local area health network sort of regions. Um, I was really lucky because I put the Illawarra as my first preference and I got it. Mm. Um, however, that's not necessarily like, they will take your preferences into consideration, but it depends on what they need operationally. Mm. So you do have a bit of a say, but then you can be offered anywhere in the state. And, you know, if you turn it down, you more or less, as I understand it, almost go to the bottom of the list and, you know, you'll say, okay, well, we offered you that, you weren't interested, we'll see what's left, you know, once we've offered everybody else what they, mm. you know, what for them. So I think you do have to approach it um, with a flexible mind mm. and be sort of willing to, to go anywhere. And, you know, it is an adventure. You don't know where you'll end up if you really want a job. You'll, it's, it's about the job. It's not about the place. Mm. So I think to do this, you really want to do the job. And everywhere will have its advantages and disadvantages. And, you know, if, if you're tied down with a, you know, with a family or mortgage or partner who can't move, it does make it more difficult. But I understand the service. It would take, you know, compassionate reasons into account. Sure. You know, really have reasons where you need to be in a particular area. You can put your case forward. And, um, you know, it depends on the on the situation. They, they do, as I understand it, consider those things. But my advice would be if you can be flexible, you've got a much better chance of getting a job and getting a job quicker. Mm. Yeah, good good advice. Fantastic. Oh, I'd, be eating all, I'd be eating this all up if I was, uh, you know, kind of getting to the end of my studies and looking at, at applying at a, 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 whether it be an ambulance, state ambulance service or, or for uh, other paramedic jobs. It's really helpful information. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting you say that, actually, because I, I think, you know, my ambition was always to work for a state service, but that's not where everybody necessarily wants wants to be. And also, you know, there are limited positions, so there are a lot of other options that people can consider. So um, just prior to getting the job offer with New South Wales Ambulance, I had just accepted a position with a mining company in um Queensland. Mm. So I was all set to go and do a seven days on, seven day off, 12 hour a day roster um, at the mines because I thought that, you know, I was just determined to take the first job offer that I got yeah. and go with that and see what happened. Mm. But then thankfully, before I actually went out there, I got the New South Wales ambulance offer. So that was my preference. But, you know, it's different experience and Depends what you want to do it for. Apparently, you know, the mining job would have been crazy money, mm. um, but it's also not as varied a, a work. So, you know, it depends on what you want to do. Mm. It it sounds like you're not in this for um, the biggest pay packet. I mean, you said this is your second career and you, you know, your first one was a well-paying one. You, yeah, yeah. You've just turned down a probably likely um, much more uh, better paid job at the mines for the the lifestyle and the the type of role that you're after oh definitely i think um you know i've i've been in a position where you know like you said i was earning quite good money in a business role but i just didn't have the passion for it anymore it didn't mean anything to me anymore and i wanted to do something with my life that i could you know come home at the end of the day and feel satisfied and felt like I'd sort of made a difference, even if it's to one person's day. You know, sometimes you, you get mundane jobs and, you know, it's 
even you can go the whole days and none of those people actually really needed an ambulance. They needed help. They needed something, but they probably could have just gone to their GP or gone to the, the hospital themselves. But having said that, you helped them still. You made their day better, easier. You know, maybe they didn't know what they needed. They just know they needed help. And then, you know, there's the other extremes where you are actually helping people who've, who are in the process of having a heart attack or having a mental health crisis or, you know, with traumatic injury. And, you know, it's it's those jobs that sort of really make it worthwhile as well because you feel like you, you know, played some part in actually saving a life, which, you know, you do get a buzz out of that. How so. rewarding is that? I mean, it's not too many careers that you kind of have such a can have such a profound life and or death impact on 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 someone's life you know that's um i'm sure that really is um something that you're yeah it makes you so proud to put on the uniform right when you uh when you wake up and yeah. go to a shift uh, absolutely and i think you just don't know what any day will bring you know it might be a completely mundane you know, day of relatively routine jobs. Or then, like yesterday, for example, I got to drive 80Ks to from south of Wollongong to Sydney, uh, lights and sirens up the highway because we had to, my partner was trained in the use of a multi-purpose vehicle um, for bariatric patients and she was the closest trained one in New South Wales to a job in Sydney. So... We had to get up there as soon as possible, so I got to drive 140 k's up the highway. So wow. that was pretty fun. And then came back and um, helped a 70-year-old woman having a heart attack. Oh, she was having my. a STEMI. So that was our last job of the night. So, what a day. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Okay, i got to ask. Um, so is there a speed limit in the 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 ambulance like when you got lights and sirens what what are the limitations can't you just do anything and go anywhere on the road i think the the general rule is that you have to still drive safely okay so um Safety i first. think the, the yeah the the rule the, the rule of thumb was like 30 to 40 k's over would be the absolute max but only if it's safe to do so mm. um there were short spurts of that on sort of the right hand lane on the highway you know, when there was no traffic and good visibility. Um, but most of the time, you know, you're only, only driving a little, like at road speed mm. or like at um, road limit speed or a little bit over because it's not safe to go any faster. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, it was sort of fun driving over a medium strip and going up the wrong side of the road for a bit though. Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you get to do that, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, wow. And the that perks, was mate. just yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, well, you messaged through and said, hey, I've, I've been delayed. I've got a, a STEMI patient um, that we're with at the moment and um, it was touch or go whether we we're going to get her uh, on the interview today. Not quite, but, you know, you said it, it's not often delayed, right, Those um, your, your shifts, but this one was. No, down here, like, we mostly finish on time. Um, some friends who work in Sydney rarely finish on time. You know, they sort of often work an hour or two hours over shift. Um, so, you know, there's, again, there's sort of more money to be made in a, stations where you do a lot of overtime. But then you've got to look after your sort of health as well. You know, they are a 12-hour shift, which could become a 14-hour shift, and then travel time can be quite arduous. 
Well, Rach, you kind of referred to it earlier how you decided to kind of begin this um, launch into a, into the paramedical career by by going uh, through Australian Paramedical College, doing their cert- certificate for and diploma studies. Um, now, I'm really kind of curious as to, you know, that whole process from when you kind of stepped out into where you are now, in light of the fact that, you know, there was advantages of being able to obviously go the, the, the route that you did. You're able to kind of work from home. It would be flexible, but but you seem to kind of, Get get to where you are now quite efficiently and um, effectively. Could you kind of give us a nut, uh, you know, it in a nutshell how how you started and and to where you're at now? How long that took, maybe, and and some of the main steps in that process for you? Yeah, sure. Um, I decided that you know I sort of thought about it for a, a long time and thought, yeah, I really want to do it. So signed up online to do the initially to do the set four um, with the college. And I just remember being so excited with my gigantic Mosby's textbook arrived. Thinking, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, this is real. This is, yeah. And um, so, you know, then just, it took me probably 18 months all up because I was working full time and had quite a demanding job. So it took me 18 months to do the cert for and the diploma. So I sort of upgraded and added the extra units to make it into the diploma. Um, I considered upgrading to the advanced diploma but for me because I wanted to go to university I thought I'd just save my money and and do that. Um, Doing the diploma actually got me three units of credit with the university uh, that I had to apply for for RPL Um, but I think more importantly for me it got me back into studying because it had Mm. been a while. I did a degree um, straight out of high school back in the early 90s um, <laughs> and so it had been quite a while since I studied um, so and also having this the diploma I didn't need to do any extra testing to get into university right so, so that made that mean, easier like, and, yeah absolutely yeah that that sort of got me a position at university as well because you know what I got in my high school marks you know in 1990 you know, come 2016, it's no longer relevant. Yeah. So either for people who maybe didn't finish high school or finished high school a long time ago, mm. um, you know, have never done tertiary study or who've you know, done tertiary study a long time ago, uh, I think it's a, it, it really set me up well to go back to university. Mm. And I think also because you, you're quite self-reliant with studying externally, you have to be motivated. Yeah which I know at times is difficult, um, but you've just got to keep your eye on the prize, you know. You've got to just remind yourself why you're doing this and, you know, um, you will get there. I I did it from sort of way to go in just under five years, I guess. Wow. Um, so three years at university plus the year and a half and then, you know, a few months waiting for a job. So, you know, five years, it seems like a long time when you're at the start of it. But looking back, it went sort of quite quickly. And um, my other advice, I guess, to students would be as much as they can, whether they're um, going to university or not, is trying to get involved in like student support activities or, you know, other volunteer stuff where you can get more experience. Um, there's, you know, quite a lot of different first aid organisations, volunteer organisations 
that are around and, and some that, you know, once you're a little bit more experienced, you can get a paid job as well, mm. which, which I was fortunate enough to do that. But I think it just really helps you with gaining confidence in talking to patients, getting histories, you know, even if you're not actually doing much, you know, a lot of the time first aid work, you're you know, treating minor wounds and things like mm. that or, you know, if things are bigger, we're calling the ambulance. <laughs> so, you know, but then that sort of inspires you to that's where I want to be one day mm. as well doing that side of it. So um, I think just get involved, get as much as experience as you can. Um, you learn so much by helping other students too. Mm. Yeah. So, Rachel, you've alluded to the fact that the reason why you did the diploma, it suited your lifestyle um, and gave you entry into the, the bachelor with some units uh, without doing the, the, the testing as well. Um, were there any other advantages, you think, of doing the diploma before uh, you went into the bachelor degree? And uh, in terms of theory or practice? Oh, definitely. I think um, just gave me a bit of a head start, I felt, on some of the units where I had a, you know, was coming in with a, with a much better understanding, um, you know, considering I didn't really study chemistry, well, I didn't study chemistry at school. You know, I, I did sort of a bit of biology, but that was really it with the sciences. So um, coming in with a, much better understanding uh, of a lot of the conditions and a lot of the physiology sort of side of things and also medications, you know, the fundamentals of ECGs and how hearts work and like so much that, you know, I felt a lot better prepared than if I'd just come in as a blank slate to university. Um, so even though I only got three actual units accredited, I felt like I got a lot more, um, a lot more from the diploma than just those three units of credit. Um, just being able to study and getting your sort of heads headset, you know, getting your mindset back into study as well, um, and also just having to be self motivated. I mean, I chose to go to university where I was on campus, and so I was around a lot of people, and there's a lot of group assignments, which sort of became the bane of my existence <laughs> for a while. So you know, relying on other people. <laughs> Flying on other people and, you know, some people think, you know, fours open doors and it's like, no, you know, you want to do the best you can. You don't want to just scrape through. Um, but, you know, it, having to be self-reliant as you do at uni, like you have to be self-motivated. You, no one's going to make you do it. You have to do it. And you just have to really keep your eyes on the prize and know what you, you're going for. Um so, yeah, I think it, it, it helped me in more of a mindset-wise as well as the fundamentals of the knowledge that I would be building mm. on in, through a university degree. Mm. Yeah, it's really good because those mindsets that you have as you're a student, you bring with you into your job and career as well, right? And 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 you want to, you know, pretty much all of the paramedics I can tell um, and even first responders that we've been interviewing mm. on this have taken such pride in what they do of making sure they're prepared for an emergency to make sure that they've done the research they're, they're at their best for when people are at their worst and I, I you know I think that that kind of advice and that mentality um, yeah definitely is, is such so, so important for anybody that really wants to to pursue this career 
Oh, definitely. And I, I think also to be prepared for lifelong learning. I mean, there's never going to be a point where you, you know, you've got this, I know everything there is to know about this job. Mm. You know, like there is so many other jobs you do, you can hit a wall where you do know everything there is to know about the job. Whereas with this job, there's always more to know. Um, science is always evolving. Technologies are always evolving. Um, you know, the the best way to do things 10 years ago might not be how they realise it's the best things to do, the best way to do things now. So things are always changing. Um, you can do your own research. You know, you'll come across patients with obscure conditions that you want to learn more about in case you come across patients like that in the future. So I think both the college and um university it sort of teaches you how to learn as well mm. and do your own research and how to critically evaluate other people's research and you know just I think you need that curiosity and that thirst for knowledge and to want to continually learn mm. I love that yeah that's, that's great good. thanks yeah so I'd really like to know just get some insight into what it's like studying the the Bachelor of Paramedicine yeah um so there was some units, like the university that I went to, QUT, uh, there was a lot of dual degree students. A lot of people do dual paramedicine and nursing. Um, and that it seems to be very popular. I think it's considered to be easier to get a job in nursing. A lot of people ask me why I wasn't doing a dual degree, but the simple answer is because I don't want to be a nurse. So <laughs> I have full respect for nurses but it's not my thing like I I don't want to be in a hospital and you know maybe having routine sort of work I, I what attracts me about being a paramedic is you don't know what any day is going to bring um, so with the study most of the units I found really valuable there were some units that were a little bit more crossover with nursing um, that I found a little bit more tedious but you know you you're going to get something out of all of the units. Mm. So even the ones you find a bit boring or a bit obscure, like some of the communications um, subjects, some students struggled with or like, you know, cultural subjects, but they are actually really important because we're not just dealing with the medical side of things. You're dealing with people, yeah. mm. you know, and being able to communicate um, effectively and being sensitive to different cultural aspects of all your, your different patients, something which, you know, you're continually learning about, um, that they're all really important. So I think it's, it, it's, it is helpful to bear in mind that all the subjects do have their value. Mm. Um, and of course, some are more interesting than others. You know, if you want to be a paramedic, you're probably more, a lot more interested in the trauma subjects than in the sort of, you know, softer communication subjects. Mm. But they are all valuable. Yeah. And so, what were some of the highlights for you doing the degree? Um, I love the practical stuff. I love the, you know, skills practice and scenarios and, uh, you know, going out to White Island where they train the QAS paramedics and sort of doing scenarios out there. And um, I loved all the, the cardiac classes as well I still find ECGs really challenging huh. some days I think I get it and some days I'm just looking at squiggles on a page going I have no idea what that is <laughs> so wow. it's, it's a conceptual thing like so you've almost got it and sometimes it just disappears and go I have no idea 
but um, it's practice, you know, it's, it's practice, keep looking at them, look at normal ECGs, you know, understand why they're normal, look at the ones, even if you don't know exactly what it is, you know, at this stage, if you can know what's normal, know what's not good, you know, not good and like probably okay or not good and really bad, mm. you know, they're, they're the important things. Um, and then you can work on all the intricacies of it. But I, I think I like it because I find it so challenging and difficult. Yeah. So I've, that one's still a work in progress. I think that, that's <laughs> great though because there's probably so many students out there that are just feeling like stuck when they get to maybe ECGs and thinking, if I don't get this, then maybe I, there's no point in me doing this. But, but it's it's like that point of continual learning. It takes perseverance. Just keep keep at it. Um, and you don't have to be perfect. You know, you don't have to to you know. There's so many, it, you know, variety of situations and inputs and things that 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 contribute to the complexity of each case. And so. Yeah, I think that's really going to be encouraging for for folk out there to hear if they feel stuck on any particular. It might not be ECGs; it could be something else. It's really kind of um, getting them um, stuck at the moment. So it's good to hear um, that you know even at this point there's still those challenges and and those um, yeah those difficulties to overcome. Oh, definitely. And I think one thing about whether it's ECGs or the other equipment that we use is. Um, to remember, it's it's easy to sort of over-focus on those and they form part of the bigger picture. And, you know, as they say, you know, read your patient, not the machines. Like you, the machines and what they're telling you and the numbers are all part of the picture. But, you know, sometimes the machines are wrong too, you know, and if, if you've got a machine that's telling you your patient's got 80% oxygen levels but they're fine and they're well perfused and they're pink, you know, maybe there's something wrong with the machine. So you've got to take the, the whole thing, you know, the whole picture yeah. into context. Mm, and no, I think that's great. really important. You know, it's easy to obsess over some numbers or one aspect. Sounds of, like you're reading your... the notes of, of a previous guest we've had on, on the <laughs> podcast. I mean, they pretty much <laughs> said exactly verbatim that. the same things that you're saying right now. So, um, you know, good. That's, that's obviously worth really kind of. Yeah. sitting on and thinking about and, and, and really reflecting on. Yeah, and that's a real good lesson in like just being being confident in how you're assessing the situation, not necessarily re- relying upon the, the the machines they're there to support. But, you know, as you said, read the patient, not the machine. That's why you're there really at the end of the day. Um, that's why a machine can't go out there and, and, and do all this stuff. You're, and, and the communication side of things, which you alluded to, and assessing a situation. And uh, these are all things that are really, at the end of the day, they, um, they set you, know, you as a, a part, as uh, a human, you know, trained human you know, paramedic at the scene um, to make those calls mm. um, that otherwise yeah. a machine couldn't do. Definitely. And I think, you know... It- Again, you're treating people, not conditions and not injuries. Mm. You know, they're first and foremost people who are, you know, a lot of the time they're scared or they're worried or they're anxious Mm. um, or they're in denial, you know, about what's happening to them. And you've got to talk to them, listen to them. You know, um, one of the most challenging things I find is history taking as far as um, asking questions like you've got to ask a lot of questions to the point where you seem like you're being really annoying yeah. asking a lot of questions. 
but sometimes, you know, listening to my partners, um, what questions they ask and what sort of tracks they go down has been a real learning experience for me too because sometimes I, I get to a point where I don't know what else to ask. So, you know, I think just listening to how other paramedics work is where you can learn a lot as well, especially with history taking. Yeah. So you've you've got through the bachelor, you've you've you you've made it um, to become a registered paramedic, and now you've you're looking into putting in an application, right, to um, the New South Wales State Ambulance. Can you talk us through that um, process and how how that went for you and, and what it, what it took? Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of the I applied for several different state services. Um, some of them you can put in an expression of interest, and then they'll send you an email when applications are open. But my advice would be initially just have a look, have a regular look at the recruitment pages of their websites, and know when they're coming up for open for applications. Um, so you put in your initial application. It, once that's accepted, you. Um, with New South Wales, I think we had to do some online tests like emotional intelligence tests and uh, sort of basic uh, aptitude tests, so psychometric tests type things, and the same with Queensland. If you get through that process, again, in COVID times, I'm not sure how this will change it, but with New South Wales, um, we had to go down to Sydney for an assessment day, and that was it only constituted about two to three hours and there was a group uh, sort of a group activity there was an interview there was a computer test which was a sort of drug calcs and um, basic questions were you nervous yes <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah and it was you sort of don't know you know you don't really know what they want but you know the best thing you can do is to be honest yeah. and just be yourself and you know try not to be overly cocky and um the scenario was what i found the most challenging and i think with new south wales that was because we were so used to practicing scenarios with the kits and actually going through a whole scenario with the mannequin and mm. you know with feedback from the teachers about what you're finding but they run the, ran the scenario more as a um, like a voice viva. So you just sat down, okay, this is your patient, this is what oh, they've got, wow. go. So had to really just um, ask a lot of questions and just vocalise everything that you would be doing. You didn't actually have any kit. Wow. So just sort of to vocalise what you will be doing. Um, but I think the most important thing really that they're looking for, because once you have the degree, they know that you have the knowledge. So they're really looking for, are you going to be a fit for the organisation? Are you a good person? What are your ethics? What are your work ethics? You know, are you going to be somebody that other people are going to work with? So I really think that that's almost more important at that stage once you have your yeah, once you've gotten either your, your diploma or your degree, they know that you have that knowledge. So it's more about, you know, it's a, it's a job interview. So it's more about do they want you to work for their service? Mm. So I think that's, you know, and just, just be yourself and try and um, yeah, just, just have integrity that I think the vast majority of people who want to be paramedics have that anyway. Yeah. So mm. I'm curious to know how... From your perspective, how could somebody assess that themselves and even prepare for that sort of 
um, you know, a component of not only being ready for the interview, but being ready for the job? I think maybe just think about um, potentially difficult situations that might arise, like interpersonal situations and what you would do about that. So, you know, if you're having problems with your partner, um, how would you handle that? Or if you thought that your partner was using the wrong treatment or going down a bit down the wrong path with a patient, you know, how would you handle that? You know, would you step in and intervene or at what point, you know, would you step in and intervene? Um, You know, because you have to maintain confidence in the patient of your partner, but you also have to prevent any harm. So, you know, just have a bit of a think about those balancing acts of how would you like to be treated as a, a partner that, you know, maybe you've gone down the wrong track a little bit. Would you want to be corrected in front of your patient or would you want, prefer your partner to go, hey, have you considered this? Maybe we should try this, mm. you know, and just how you would like to be treated if you were in, you know, not the wrong, so yeah. to speak, you know, unintentionally. Yeah. Or if you were having a bad day and that was impacting your partner's, work or their work day how would you like them to handle that with you mm. Mm. so I think that's a really good way to think about it great mm. um i'd love to kind of dig into you know your time getting to this place where you've now got the job but in that process i'm sure that journey that student pathway journey that you were on i'm sure there were some challenges that you faced and I'd love to hear maybe how you overcame them and and came through the other side because, um, gosh, um, it's 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 not easy um, being a student and it's by the sounds of it working as well. Can you talk a bit about the challenges that you overcame? Yeah, I think um, probably the main challenge as a student and working almost full-time hours uh, doing three, sometimes four casual jobs um, was just – sort of work-life balance and juggling and, you know, I think planning ahead for when you know when your assignments are going to be due and, you know, when you know you're going to have busier times at uni and for study times for exams, um, just sort of a bit of a juggling act with life. I I really get that people find that hard. I, I don't have kids, so I really admire anyone who's undertaking this who has a family and children and school and all those commitments as well. So it is a struggle. Um, And again, I think you just have to focus on the end game, you know, where do you want to be, why are you doing this, and plan ahead as much as you can and just be organised and make some time for yourself too. And if you need to take a day off uni and get your mates to give you the lecture notes because you just need a mental health day, well, just do that. You know, it's, it's okay. You need to look after yourself in all this too because it is hard. Mm. It is hard. Oh, that's great. Be kind to yourself. I like that. That's Yeah, that's really absolutely. Good. And just give yourself a break. And, you know, if you don't quite get the marks you wanted for that assignment, it's okay, you know, and just sort of learn from where you could do better next time and, um, you know, just cut yourself some slack, you know. Mm, I think some students who put a huge amount of pressure on themselves to get top marks all the time, you know, they they really suffer for it. That sort of level of academia doesn't come naturally to most people. Mm. And, you know, if you're just honestly doing your best, that's what matters, you know. Mm. 
Well, I bet there's a lot of students out there that are, would love to hear that advice. They're, they're probably uh, struggling right now. We're living through a pandemic and life seems turned upside down and there's a lot of uncertainty. And um, yeah, I'm just taking it one step at a time. It's a marathon. You'll get there and, and you're proof positive of, of making it there yeah. and, and beginning to live your dreams. So that's awesome advice. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. And study as well. You know, I think if... If you can only do that virtually or by Zoom meetings or just chatting with other students, mm. if you can't meet them physically, I think that's really helpful too because sometimes just talking things through, with um, you know, you'll have different strengths to your, your fellow students and you can help each other even if you don't, both of you don't understand something, just talking it through and working it out together. I think that's really important. You know, lean on your, your fellow students and um, be there for them as well. I think that's really important. Great. That's good advice. And on in the context of advice, um, is there anything? So now, with knowing what you know, you've been through the process. You're on the job now as a trainee. Um, with that insight and perspective, what would you say to yourself back way back when you started your journey uh, in terms of either encouragement or insight or how to get perspective? Um, you know, starting out on this journey. Yeah, I, I think just. Um keep focused on what it is that you're doing this for and what the end game is and, you know, find things about it that you, like aspects of the study that you find really interesting and you might want to find out more about, you know, um, focus on those things, focus on the things that, you know, aside from you, think do, do the things that make you happy as well and give you some sort of work-life balance. Yeah. And I think just... You know, the, the main thing is to just, as I keep saying, like, eyes on the prize. Mm. You know, I kept telling myself that, you know, it's like it's hard and you feel like you're never going to get there and am I even going to get a job? You will. You know, it might be quick. It might take a little longer. You know, there's lots of different options. You might not get the job that you really want straight away. But, you know, there's other things you can do and keep learning and keep supporting each other. Um there's lots of different podcasts out there. If you're doing some casual job, you know, to I was packing first aid kits for quite a while during um, my study time. And I used to listen to podcasts just to keep myself focused to, you know, and I might not be able to regurgitate a lot of the knowledge from that. There was, a, you know, some critical care paramedic podcasts, for example, I was listening to, and some of the knowledge was way above me, but just being inspired by those people who are doing it and thinking, yeah, that's that's what I want to do, you know, and I'll be able to do this and I'm learning and just, yeah, keep yourself focused and motivated. I like that tip um, that you just said and, and what stood out to me. You, you said, you know, if some particular aspect of whether it be theory or whatever it be, that you know, human, um, you know, anatomy, um, if there's some particular topic that really interests you you kind of you know push into that uh and use that as your sort of inspiration in your spark uh to continue the journey obviously you have to learn everything but it's really it's that's a great piece of advice to mm. kind of um notice what really pricks your ears up in a sense and for you it was yeah, cardiac sort of uh, cardiac stuff you said you enjoyed that um, in in your bachelor degree, is that is that correct? Is that really where you? Yeah, yeah. It, it is. And things around you know oxygen therapy and 
um, you know, the ambulance services used to give everybody oxygen for every, you know, pretty much everything. Everybody got oxygen. Um, but that's, we hardly ever use oxygen anymore. Like, why has that changed? And, you know, the benefits of different levels of oxygen therapy for COPD patients and people who don't have COPD and, and things like that, you know, I would sort of just dig into that a little bit further. Yeah. So for my own interest, but also, you know, you know, when you come across those patients, you're knowing why you're treating them differently. Mm-hmm as well so i think understood for me the understanding why makes it a lot more interesting and the knowledge sits with you rather than just parrot learning and again with ecgs if you really sort of delve into the functionality of the heart it took me so long to get my head around the views with the leads what 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 am i looking at what are these squiggles telling me you know what are the different planes of of view if you really sort of focus on that and, and keep reviewing it because if you don't it sort of becomes elusive and disappears again. Mm. So sit with a friend or online on Zoom or something and go over that and understand the electro, you know, the electronics of the heart, if you like, mm. and what it is that you're seeing on paper, what, what's that a reflection of. And then it's just a lot easier to understand if you understand why. Know your why. Eyes yep. on the prize. Yeah. And push into push into your learning to to understand why that's that's I think that's some really at least for me yeah. a great takeaway what you're saying and yeah follow your curiosity mm, really good yeah oh, absolutely yeah stay curious yeah. you know look look up things if you come across can patient conditions or you know medications you don't know what they are look it up so you know yeah. the more times you do that it'll stick in your mind and you'll be like oh, you remember what that is so oh, i've come across this before and it could help this patient so mm. it's just yeah google is your friend <laughs> but be careful be careful what sites you look at though. <laughs> i was gonna say, yes <laughs> like caveat so you, you know googling stuff is great but yeah just yeah. Be, be aware of Go- the google the scholar source. is your friend <laughs> Rachel, it's been an absolute delight having you on the show. Thank you so much for your insights. It's going to be so valuable, yeah. uh, not only for students, for people at differing stages of their journey into this career of emergency healthcare. It's so good to have a, a freshie. <laughs> I hope you don't mind me saying that. Um, not at all. To get your insight as a training paramedic for New South Wales Ambulance. Um, thanks for dressing up for us too. It's really great to, <laughs> to have you in uniform. You're legit. And, um, yeah, oh, yeah, thank you for the time. And we, we hope, hope to, to stay in touch too. We're very proud. Yeah, super proud. As a of college. you as an alumni from the college. And, um, and we wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Changing Lives, brought to you by Australian Paramedical College. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider rating it, leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe to stay tuned for all future episodes. Did you know we're also on YouTube? Search for Changing Lives Podcast and you can watch our episodes in HD video, see the studio and put a face to a name. Speaking of studios, this podcast was filmed, recorded and produced by Make Media Studios. Special thanks to our audio-visual engineer and editor, Jose Biotto. And as always, it has been great to be with you. Until next time, don't stop changing lives. <laughs>